What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Omega Metroid Podcast, the only weekly Metroid podcast out there. I checked. Don't worry. You don't have to. This week, I am your host, Dak, alongside my main man, Doom, as we're taking over for episode 192 while Andy is on break. Doom, how are you doing on this lovely late November week? Yeah, I actually, I, I was talking with my mom recently, and I didn't realize Thanksgiving is uh, is next week. We're like, we're, we're yes. getting right around that corner. It feels like November just kind of came and went like that. So it's it's kind of wild how uh, how quick all that is happening. Uh, as you can see, I am dressed up in my Patrick Star onesie uh, because today is not a touching grass day. Today is laundry day, and it's a little chilly outside, so you know, I figured, why not dress in something comfortable and, you know, here we are. For a majority of our listeners that actually can't see that you are in fact wearing a real Patrick onesie from SpongeBob SquarePants. So that is real. You can check it out on YouTube in all its glory. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I always thought that American Thanksgiving was supposed to be the last Thursday of November. And yes, it's not this year. The 30th is the last uh, Thursday of November. So yeah, thanks. American Thanksgiving is in a few days, which is wild yeah the month is pretty much over at this point it's just it's i've been listening to christmas music since november 1st so it's already been extra december for me let's just get it over with let's just get it going Mm -hmm. (laughs) so i don't know yeah and then uh, then speaking music guy uh i don't really go out of my way to listen to it but you know like it's it's almost like uh Uh, come on I don't I'm not a Christmas music <laughs> hater like a lot of people are. There's a lot of people that like they their entire personality is just hating on it. And it's like, man, if it's if it's there, it's there. I'm gonna enjoy it. I will say, um uh the uh the uh the Trans Siberian Orchestra, mm. like that is good Christmas music that I'm always uh, ready to get down to. Yes, I have seen TSO live, which is really cool and I highly recommend it if you're ever able to uh, to do so. So, uh, so Doom, before we, we jump into some Metroid stuff today, because we do have Metroid to talk about on the show, which may or may not be a surprise to all of you, uh, we've had a couple other things come up in the past few weeks, including, um, I, I was, were they initially, were they officially revealed or were they just leaked, but the, the Game Awards nominees for a bunch of the categories, if not Game of the Year? No, no, they were all officially okay. revealed on okay. the, uh, yeah, it was announced beforehand they were going to come out. We actually, they, they actually came out like just before we recorded the last mm-hmm. podcast and we just kind of forgot to talk about it. Yeah. But, yeah. uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, I, um, you know, it's a, it's, it's more, uh, it's more of the Jeff Keighley awards, you know how it is. Um, I'm not necessarily hyped going into these, but you know, I always like to watch them regardless just yeah. cause I'm mildly curious, you know, see what kind of new trailers or watch, see, you know, kind of what, you know, kind of, kind of see like where critics are leaning towards what's coming out in the industry. I just, I think it's always just interesting to check that stuff out. But uh, I especially want to talk about it this year because uh got to toot my own horn here. I perfectly predicted all six nominees, uh, that being RE4 nice. Remake, Tears of the Kingdom, Spider-Man 2, Mario Wonder, uh, Baldur's Gate 3, and uh, Alan Wake 2, which Alan Wake 2, I feel like... Uh, was a sleeper pick for a lot of people but after i saw those initial reviews i'm like i don't know i i think alan wake 2 is gonna make it in despite being kind of a last second show up you know yeah so do you i mean obviously you're happy that your prediction was you know great across the board but now that you've seen that those are the actual nominees like what are your thoughts on who got picked and you know maybe what got snubbed like what do you think um i here's the thing a lot of the snubs 
the the quote unquote snubs I haven't played yet. A lot of people were surprised that uh, Starfield didn't get nominated. I I was not surprised at all because well I think most people did like Starfield. I think there was enough critics and keep in mind the critics are you know the people that are ultimately nominating these games and are judging them for game of the year. There was enough critics that didn't you know that weren't quite as hooked on it. Um, and to me, like that seemed pretty obvious that it wasn't that it wasn't going to make it at least a game of the year. It did get some uh, some nominations in other categories. Uh, I believe best RPG it got nominated for, which uh, definitely not going to win because it's going up against Baldur's Gate three. But that's uh, a whole I, I think we're going to be seeing some Baldur's sweep three this year, if you ask me. Yeah, I think Baldur's Gate's probably going to win every category that it's in. I'm not super surprised to not see Starfield. I was hoping to see Armored Core six. And there is kind of mm-hmm. a little bit of a bittersweet if not unfortunate irony that the game that was one of the big world premieres of last year's game awards was now not at all nominated for a game of the year award not to say that you know every game that gets revealed at the game awards is automatically in contention but there was certainly certainly a big fanfare for armored core specifically to be revealed uh, being a FromSoft game so yeah I, I wanted to see that I haven't played Super Mario Wonder yet and truthfully I haven't played Tears of the Kingdom yet even though I don't really plan to so I can't say like, oh, they shouldn't be nominated, but I did feel like it was a bit too soon for Super Mario Wonder, which just came out, and Tears of the Kingdom, which I didn't really feel like was a Game of the Year nominee, but again, I didn't play it, so I think it doesn't matter because Baldur's Gate's going to win, so. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm somewhat in the same boat, but like, I also get it. Like, obviously, I, I still enjoyed Tears of the Kingdom, but it didn't resonate with me anywhere near as much as uh, Breath of the Wild, and uh, you can actually hear... Uh, some uh, me and Andy talking about that uh, with Allison on the uh, on the Zelda cast. Can't remember which ex- episode exactly, but uh, I'm I'm sure you'll find it <laughs> if you look hard enough. But yeah, in, in terms of like snubs, like I mean, yeah, obviously you know RoboCop. I've been talking about that. I definitely enjoyed it more than Tears of the Kingdom, but I also I also don't consider that a snub because like I get why you know that's not like Game of the Year material. I get why, even though I personally resonated a lot more with that game why a lot more people would resonate with uh, Tears of the Kingdom. And also, it's just a significantly more ambitious game, you know, you right. know, just from its framework. Yeah, it's a triple-A Zelda game, sells tens of millions of copies. It's going to get, it's going to be in the game of the year, can, you know, in the running, no matter what. So I, I would have liked to have seen Sea of Stars, which I've really been enjoying. It's not a perfect game, but it's one of my favorite games of the year. So I would have liked to have seen that, but I, I think it's going to end up winning somewhere else. So. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, well, I guess we still have about... Actually, I don't even know when the Game Awards are this year. I'm going to... Quickly... Uh, it's oh, it's the first week of December. December I can't 7th. remember the exact day. December 7th. So we are we are within one, two, just about... Just under four weeks, really. Maybe I, My math is probably awful. It's probably even less than that, but... Which, <laughs> speaking of er, speaking of early December, we also... So there, so there was a, a, a Jason Schreier report on a Bloomberg... Uh, that uh, a Grand Theft Auto 6 reveal, or at least the next mm. Grand Theft Auto game. We don't know yes. if it's going to be called 6 or not, that it was imminent. And personally, like, I usually say to take things with a grain of salt, but when Jason Schreier posts something, that to me, that's basically a hard confirmation. Um, you know, I, I, I think he's one of the reveal. most... Well, that's, that's what I wanted to lead into, because Rockstar specifically said that they plan on revealing it early December, and I'm kind of one one on two ways of this because typically Rockstar does like to do their own thing. They don't. They typically, you know, play to their own YouTube, kind of like Nintendo does in a way with their directs. But you know, obviously they don't have directs. They do individual game reveals, but they're not known for like doing world premieres at like other events. 
But I don't know, man. Early December Game Awards. It's definitely something that Jeff Keighley absolutely would be trying to get get his hands on. That would arguably be like one of one of, if not the biggest things he's ever gotten the opportunity to reveal. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think we might be seeing some GTA six close out um the first week of December. I'm excited for that because I love me some GTA and obviously it's been way too long. I, truthfully, though, I, I almost feel like Rockstar doesn't even need like the game awards. Like they can just drop like the trailer on, on social media and that'll and everyone is going to see it one way or another. So and they could even use just like the general buzz of the game awards to just drop the trailer on their own channels and not necessarily bring it to the game awards. But it would be a really, really sick moment. And obviously it would be really sick for Jeff and the game awards. That would be cool. I'm excited for that. I actually forgot about that until you'd mentioned it. And I think it's funny, too, because we were talking about the Zelda movie, which I believe there was like a um, a vanity uh, report or some article that some magazine that had reported on it, like Variety beforehand. But like then, like the tweet came out for the Zelda movie, like just the casual tweet from Nintendo. And then Rockstar like did the, the same thing with Grand Theft Auto. Like, oh, yeah, by the way, we're revealing this. The next big Grand Theft Auto is coming on just on a, a random uh, X post or tweet. So, yeah, exciting stuff. Everyone's just trying to one up each other in casual posts on the internet, and uh, I'm down for that. Please uh, throw Metro Prime Four in there. I'm waiting for Retro to go. Hey, by the way, we're we're, we're this is coming out soon. Enjoy. We have yes, one more that. announcement. <laughs> hey, imagine Metro Prime Four appears at the Game Awards this year. What? Well, let's give us Samus's percentages for that. If GTA Six <laughs> is appearing there, I don't want it anywhere near that because it will be overshadowed. <laughs> so badly and that is the last thing prime four that's needs. why it's going to be there because <laughs> because that's what happens in metroid prime games okay speaking of metroid once again this is a metroid podcast so let's jump into our main topic of the day of the show a few weeks ago i want to say i don't know how many weeks ago but pretty recently but not like a couple episodes ago we did our first lore archives episode where we went into the history from front to back of the space pirates which was like an epic journey through the the beginning to the end of the space pirates as we know it in the games and we also even had a little bit of like stuff thrown in from the comics but very very little it's mostly just entirely the games and uh many of you were were fans of that which is great because we enjoyed talking about you know the more lore and story aspects of metroid particularly when it pertained to the space pirates and we thought well it'd be great to do it for other aspects of metroid as well so this week we are bringing back lore archives again pretty quickly to talk about the hunters of Metroid, the bounty hunters of the Metroid series, which there aren't that many of them, but certainly all of them are very memorable characters. Now, Doom, I, I, we actually didn't talk about this before the show. I just listed at least here the uh, hunters for Metroid Prime Hunters and uh, Prime 3 Corruption. Obviously, we're not going to talk about uh, Samus <laughs> because we've that's a whole episode. We're not going to talk about Dark Samus, even though she's not technically a bounty hunter. So we're going to leave them out. However, I was not sure if we we're going to include the the comic bounty hunters outside of the Metroid manga, like Big Time Brannigan or Armstrong. Uh, I didn't. I definitely didn't study up okay. on my uh, on my uh, other worlds bounty hunters. So right, the extended universe. So we'll leave them out for now. Maybe just to mention them towards the end of the show. But we are going to go through all the different hunters we know about in the series so far. Obviously, Metroid Prime Hunters and Prime Three Corruption are the two games where there are other bounty hunters featured main prominently in the game, and we learn 
quite a lot about them. So we're going to talk about them, the ones we know, what we know of them, what we don't know of them, and what potentially could be down the road for these characters in the future. Will we see them again? Could we see them in a different time period? We won't see them at all. Maybe some new characters join the fold, or maybe Armstrong Houston joins us for Metroid 6. We're not sure. But we're going to talk about it today on uh, an episode that I'm, again, looking forward to because these are two of two of my some of my favorite games in the series i love these uh how these games kind of expanded the metroid universe and it's cool to do another lore episode so uh doom are you ready to jump into this one let's go all right well we're gonna start off chronologically i think that's probably the best way to do this and also it kind of makes sense to start off with the hunters and metroid prime hunters because that was the game that kind of was first to bring in the idea of other bounty hunters really being in the series outright and I think at a general level, and I want to kind of get your thoughts before we go into the, the specific characters that this game introduces here, Doom, um, kind of just your general thoughts on how all the characters are introduced, like what, like how you felt about them. Did you feel like you wanted to learn more about them? Do you think that they added or subtracted to the series? Like, what was your general, like, what was your general vibe in terms of like being introduced to new hunters at the time and then kind of looking back at it now, uh, how they're all brought oh. into the fold in Hunters? We're talking about okay, so we're just talking about hunters, not just like hunter, bounty hunter, hunters in general. Just hunters, just hunters right hunters. now. Just hunters right now. Yeah, as a game. Uh, I think you know. I think the overall marketing for it was really interesting, and I definitely I wish we could learn a lot more about them because we don't really know that much about them other than you know like a paragraph of flavor text here and there. Because um, yeah, I think it's a really cool concept. You know, you have a game starring a bounty hunter, but then you don't really get anything beyond that up until this game. And it doesn't really offer that much. It kind of leaves a lot to the imagination. Um, but yeah, just it's a it's a cool concept that I would definitely like to see built on and extrapolated in the future. Um, yeah. I will say though, uh, shout outs to Wiki Troid. I, I don't know about you, but that's where, where um, I pulled up all my sources from. And like it's a you know such a it's such a really cool project that just makes uh, browsing lore and you know organizing information just really cool and convenient. So shout out to those folks. I mean, absolutely. I was definitely looking up like Wikitroid, the fandom wiki, and I do have my DS here, but admittedly, I didn't pull it out for for reading <laughs> lore book scans. And that's kind of the thing about about hunters is that in terms of like what we know about the characters, like there's only really so much you get from playing the game, like because essentially they just show up as mini bosses. Really, like, you get a lot from like the lore book. We also get a good amount, uh, and good amount is used kind of <laughs> liberally there from like the manual. And maybe from like the official, you know, uh, player's guide, which is, I guess, like on a level of is it canon or is it not in terms of like the creative liberties it takes. So, yeah, like you said, there's really not a lot to glean from these. And, and thanks to all the sources that we can pull from online, because again, information is handy when we're going through them. Yeah, this is like you can definitely tell this was something like they're like, OK, we had the concept of we need multiple different character types for a multiplayer type game. And they come up with that. And then after the fact, like, OK, we need some kind of cool backstory for these characters to, to make them feel like they're not just essentially these different types of characters we made for a multiplayer suite. Right. And I know that there's like concept art and interviews where there's like more lore we don't know about. But I think it was kind of evident that they created these characters to to fill slots for other playable you know avatars in game and they're like okay well we need to have a cool little lore scan for this one what did he do like what was this one into like before the game happened and as a result they're they're pretty simple backstories but they leave a lot to the imagination and as i was going through this again it, it's cool like what the potential is for all these characters in terms of the implications of their origins 
and and what their motivation is for even being involved in hunters in the first place uh, yeah absolutely uh or, or sorry go, go ahead on. no go ahead oh no i was i was just going to reiterate what you said well, you don't have to reiterate. People could just go back and rewind and listen again. But yeah, let's jump right into it. It's uh, rewind time. <laughs> it's rewind time. Let, I feel like the first, the the most uh, prominent or notable hunter we got to talk about here is Silex, right? Like this is a character mm-hmm. who is most likely going to have some kind of presence in the Metroid series going forward. And as far as we know, the only one that's going to have some kind of presence going forward. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Silex, I mean, he's the blue guy, blue and green guy, right? Well, we very much, very little we know about Silex is that he hates the Federation for some reason, and as a result, hates Samus because Samus works with the Federation. We don't act, as far as we know, he doesn't actually have any beef with Samus aside from that, and we actually never really learn what Silex's exact beef is with the Federation at all, which presumably we might learn in, in Metroid Prime 4. Um, there's certainly a few different elements that kind of conflict when you start going into like you know the description in the super smash brothers brawl trophy for silex or the metroid.com reading but most sources agree that he's kind of some kind of resourceful uh, bounty hunter has some kind of stolen prototype power suit or based on a stolen prototype power suit from the federation and i believe his ship is also some kind of stolen prototype or based on a stolen prototype in fact, his shock coil is even considered a banned technology in one of the uh, in the logbook entry. So he's very clearly not a good guy. But we don't really know why. We don't have no idea why. Um, one thing I thought was actually really interesting, though, that uh, the official player's guide, so the official Metroid Prime Hunters player's guide, says that Silex was already in pursuit of Samus when the Olympic transmission was broadcast, which isn't corroborated anywhere else, but it does otherwise talk about all the other similar details of Silex, but that's the only one place that mentioned that Silex was already hunting Samus down. But other than that, we don't really know much about Silex. Cold, patient, resourceful, deadly, humanoid, but do we even know if Silex is human? There's the cutscene where like Silex is like roaring into the air and, and that doesn't give me human vibes, but we know very, very little about him, and obviously going forward, hopefully we learn what it is, what's the deal with the beef with the Federation? You you brought up that uh, that thing in the player's guide, which I completely forgot about, mm-hmm. um, and I'm, I'm sure it's just a coincidence. It's like almost guaranteed to be a coincidence, but it, it kind of fits, you know, Silex's MO from what we've seen, literally in the Prime 3 cutscene where he's just waiting there in the background and just, you know, you know, stalking Samus just in the shadows. And then even in the Federation force cutscene, you know, he's not pursuing Samus, but, you know, he's just kind of keeping a low profile, keeping to himself and just being all being all stealthy and uh, sus as the as the kids say. Yeah, that's actually a good point. It does definitely fit his MO. And and as you point out, we the, we know the most about Silex because Silex technically makes the most appearances out of all of these hunters. So Silex, of course, shows up in Metroid Prime Hunters, shows up again presumably at the end of Metroid Prime 3, not with the same type of ship, but close enough, and it's confirmed later that it is Silex, and then shows up again in Federation Force to hatch a Metroid egg in a Federation research facility. I I would assume to take the Metroid as well, uh, unless he would just show it up to kind of mess with it and then leave and kind of play a little practical joke, but I'm assuming he took it or did something with it. So we kind of can paint a little bit of an idea like, yes, go hunting Samus for some reason, Aside from 
I mean, it could just be because she's Federation affiliated, has some kind of interest in the Metroids like many people in the Metroid universe do for the same reasons as we don't need to explain here. And that's really kind of it. And and is motivated to act upon a hatred for the Federation. So, yeah, it, we do see a little bit of the MO, and it is interesting that that player's guide does bring something up that does corroborate something that happens in Prime 3, even though the guide is for Hunters, which came out, you know, a year prior. Though, I mean, maybe they were privy to the ending of Prime 3. It could just be a coincidence. It probably is. Yeah, I don't have anything else to add to that. Uh, yeah. Other than the uh, shot coil is uh, the best weapon in Hunters, and I hope it returns in the future. <laughs> It is very, very good, and I, I thought this was really cool uh, and an interesting thing. I had mentioned the, that it's called in the logbook entry a banned technology. It doesn't say why, but the end of the sentence, I think, uh, refers to high-density neutrinos. So that could be the reason for the banned technology, but I was reading that, I'm like, all right, why is no one uh, trying to get this shock coil thing going on again? Like, Metroids are really annoying to deal with, but, like, this is a banned technology that isn't some bio-organic thing you have to put in a cage and, like, fight with? Like, that seems like a possible good thing to do criminal activity with. I don't know. My own personal headcanon after reading that is, you know, kind of like how today, like, the electric chair is, you know, I'm not sure if it's 100% banned in all the states, but, like, it's largely banned in most states because it's very cruel and inhumane, and I would imagine, you know, the shock coil, very similar to that, you know, it's like, hey, you know, we can, we can, you know, we can, we can have more humane weapons, if that makes sense, like, yeah, <laughs> bit of an oxymoron, but. But this, but, I mean, if anyone's gonna, you know, do war crimes, I feel like Silex might break the Geneva Convention, I don't know, might be that one. Speaking of which, in terms of identity, like, is Silex the type of, of person to do that? I, I think one of the things that makes Silex the most interesting is that we have no idea what Silex's identity is. A lot of hunters, I mean, we know, like, they're not hiding their identity. Uh, Silex is really the only one who is. Like, And we don't know where he's from. The intro uh, cutscene that he shows up in in Hunters, the planet is called Silosis, but I don't believe it's it's confirmed if that's, his, if that's just a planet they're on and he's just finds some Federation Marines to kill or that's where he's from. Uh, we don't know if Silex is a human, like certainly humanoid, but doesn't seem to, re I mean, acts kind of monsterish. like certainly humans can be monsters, but like literally like roars into the air, like some kind of demon, <laughs> which I always thought was one of the coolest like aspects of, of, of Silex was having that like um, just the juxtaposition of, of a seemingly like humanoid sci-fi bounty hunter and then doing this very guttural primal roar into the air and, and and presumably killing all these marines which always was really interesting to me so i wonder if there's any like is silex not really human does that play into his hatred for the federation who knows maybe he was once human but no longer is and that has to do with his uh, little federation beef yes that's that's kind of where i was going with that because that wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility there are a number of hunters as we'll talk about in this episode where they're experimented on and change some kind of form and are rebuilt or reborn in some kind of way in fact it happens a lot as i've kind of was going it's a lot of them <laughs> a lot of them go through this so yeah that could be at least at least half the cast now that I, now that i'm thinking about it a significant portion of them yeah so it's interesting. It could be the case where, okay, Silex could have been this person or this being or whatever was experimented on or changed in some kind of way by the Federation, altering them into who they are now, and that's their reason for hating the Federation. Absolutely. 
could definitely see that. Now, I think the only one thing I wanted to really uh, point out here is um, he has a really cool ship. Really big fan. I don't think we ever learned um, what exactly the deal is with the ship, except that it is also a, a stolen prototype of some kind, which I believe the game refers to in terms of its weakness is because it's a prototype. And so it has this big glaring weakness where it can be like shot down and stunned. So, yeah, cool ship. One of the cooler ships. Uh, not sure where he pulled that out from, but I'm a big fan of it. And let's jump into Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I'm looking back at the wiki choid and also... We're going we're going like outside of the Metroid games now, but uh, in the uh, the trophy description in Brawl for uh, Silex's trophy, uh, it also mentions uh, that uh, he's experienced in espionage skills, which we were talking about earlier, as well as a skilled marksman, which is interesting because, you know, again, the shot coil isn't really a marksman. You know, that's a very close quarters weapons. You never really like technically you can pick up the imperialist in multiplayer, but otherwise we don't really we don't really see Silex as a marksman in action. So. Again, it's Smash, so take that for what yeah. you will. But, but I I also imagine they had to have gotten approval for that description, uh, from you know you know from the Metroid team at Nintendo. And so I I thought that little bit was interesting. I don't know. That's a good question. I wonder if like do they run all of those descriptions by like the relevant teams? Because I mean, if you think about it, not every IP covered in like a Smash game is going to have that person where you maybe go to. Or like that reference, or someone who even cares to keep some kind of continuity. Metroid, I'm assuming, would be one of those, but I don't know. Like, are they running? All well, the those? way the way Sakurai talks about projects, like it sounds like he gets approval of like all of the franchises, whether it be first or third party, on how you know, and see if like you know everyone involved is like okay with like what's going on. Sure, but there's a difference between getting approval and having people legitimately read what it is you're sending them and mm, being like, yeah, yeah, we're down with it. Like to me, I could see it being like, hey, like they send this paragraph over and I'm just compl- super simplifying this. And whoever Nintendo or whoever it is being like, yep, this this doesn't look wrong and signing off yeah. on it. and seeing a word like marksman could just be like a catch-all term for someone who's good at using a weapon or a gun or something. Yeah. And not necessarily a precision sniper or something like that, which would fit someone like Trace, for example. Um, but yeah, that that was interesting. Yeah, the stuff like the Brawl trophies and like the like Metroid.com, which I guess is a more official, or like the Player's Guide. Like, there's definitely a little bit of creative liberty that they kind of they're looking for flavor text to throw in there, and, and mm-hmm. maybe sometimes taking some creative liberties that that uh, aren't necessarily the initial intent of the character, but at least from the hunters, that more or less those resources don't really go that far out of the scope of what the manual in the games already kind of set out for these characters. Yeah, there actually there actually is one typo for Candon. Uh, I don't know when we'll talk about him later, but there actually is a um, a funny typo that gives off a very different implication than uh than what like the actual logbook entry does uh, for Smash. Well, we'll get to him soon because he's actually two away, so we'll we'll jump in. Cannon's one of my favorites. Um, the next one I want to talk about real quick is, is actually one I don't think we need to spend too much time on because we did a pretty in-depth uh, section on him in our Space Pirate History episode. So if you want to hear us talk more about Weevil, the Space Pirate bounty hunter in the game, we did we talked a lot about him in the Space Pirate uh, Lore Archives episode. So I highly recommend you go back and listen to that. 
I will say that I don't think we need to re-go through all of his history and, and whether or not he fought Samus and Brinstar, because I think we really did a good number on that. I think my biggest question, and this could maybe point towards where we'll talk later in terms of the future of these characters, um, is he still alive? If, if so, like, what's the deal? Where is he at? Is he aligned with the pirates? If he is, why hasn't he appeared again? If not, then what's he up to? That was always my biggest question because it wasn't ever really clear if by the time Hunters happens, he's still aligned with the pirates or not. I don't think that's really super clear. At the very least, it's clear that maybe he got like the transmission thanks to the pirates, but like whether or not he really wanted to use the power to help the pirates or maybe just himself. I think there was always a little bit of a gray area. So I was always curious if we could maybe get a better, clear answer on that. Yeah, again, I'm... um. I'm reading the the Smash Trophy lore for for Weevil because there's a I don't know I'm always fascinated by these because obviously they're you know they're not you know they're they're not primary sources right but also they include like interesting tidbits that you're not going to find and so I I, I think it's fun to like bring stuff like that up and I can't remember if we talked about this um in the pirate episode but in the Smash Trophy episode it mentions that uh. So we so we know that Weevil was in a fight with Samus, and that's what left him in the state it is. But the trophy description, uh, it specifically mentions that he was left for dead in a fight with Samus, which gives off kind of an even more darker implication that he was like part of a squad and he just kind of got abandoned by squad and just, you know, just got absolutely bodied in the process. Yeah, well, I mean, there is uh, we do know that he was kind of like a special forces guy mm -hmm. so i mean it could be a thing where he was part of some special forces team fights samus gets left for dead and gets rebuilt i i kind of always took that as like he was left for dead as in like samus essentially left him on the brink of death and left not necessarily that there mm -hmm. was any kind of like intentional like leaving him to die but more like she bodied him and whether or not he was dead like he's dead or not like he's no longer a threat and he she moved on um because if he was left for dead by the pirates, why would they then like rebuild him as a cybernetic warrior? You know, like why would, yeah. So like that kind of conflicts there. And that's again, where that creative Liberty stuff kind of is, if you, if you think about it for a little bit, it doesn't always line up, but I could see it maybe being like, maybe someone double crossed him on the team or something like that. And he wasn't meant to be left for dead, but he was. And then like the rest of the team recovers him or another team. Or, I don't know. You can, there's, that's the potential of these characters. You could start to really think of. And go, I, know, wow. I kind of, I don't really think of it as double crossing. I think of it more as like, you know, the opening for Raiders of the Lost Ark when like Alfred Molina's character is just like, you know, Hey, everyone, every man for himself, you know, not nothing personal kid, but I would love like a really, like a, like a short, like a five or 10 minute short that, that shows us what happened. And I, some of the things mm -hmm. in Metroid, I like, and I've said this about like, you know, what happened with the Ridley um, from Super Metroid of Fusion, like, you know, sometimes like the, the mystique and the mystery is like a big part of Metroid and not necessarily knowing, but there are some things in Metroid that I would, I would love to actually know what happened. I would love to see the creative minds behind the series. Give me a fun thing to, to experience. Right. So that's always one of the things I thought would be perfect for for weevil like okay did Sa did he really fight samus like how'd it go like i want to see how weevil initially took on samus in that first fight like did he get it was a squash match like did he just get absolutely pulverized did he put up a fight i mean presumably not much of a fight but at least a little bit of it like it'd be cool yeah i don't think this is halo reach survive <laughs> no he's getting stomped out immediately but that would be interesting to see like maybe like we get the backstory of his secret like 
like the, the pirates thinking that their special forces team can take on Samus and they show up and just get like immediately wiped. <laughs> just and like just the, nah. And their like information is like, not even like up to par. So that could be cool. So I'd love to see that. It's like that it's like that one Jonah Hill gif of just like the <laughs> <laughs> Not the not the Vince McMahon one that's going around where he's doing the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I i forgot about that one I, it's it's so recent that it just did all because when i think of the vince mcmahon gif i think of like the one where it's just like him progressively getting more excited and so finally has like you know the yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um all right let's move on to uh to candon because you had mentioned him candon was i thought was always one of the coolest designed characters in metro crime hunters super super cool like a, a yoked bug dude like i don't like really 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 cool turns into a little like like little scarab or a little like larva that like crawls around on the ground love canon canon was a character that aside from spy i mean i played all the characters in hunter it's not like there's many of them but i loved i enjoyed playing uh canon let's jump into him i would say probably the most mysterious of the group uh so much so that i think he was made in the uh ianoma or enigma i think it's ianoma living weapons project which was conducted at a quote a sinister laboratory, <laughs> which isn't even <laughs> given a name. So from what we know, based on the logbook scans, the manual, uh, he was created to be or turned into. It's kind of unclear whether or not he was literally made or, again, was someone or an, some kind of being and then experimented on and changed uh, to become the ultimate soldier, the ultimate warrior, which... A reoccurring theme in Metroid. People really love that idea. People really are on that that ultimate warrior thing. So, uh, experiment goes horribly wrong. Uh, he's essentially he's essentially Mewtwo in Cinnabar Island, right? Experiment in a lab, goes horribly wrong, breaks out, kills all the researchers, gets away. Literally the plot of the first Pokemon movie. Um, we have no idea if this is related to the Galactic Federation or the Space Pirates. And I know from uh, Richard Vorardi... He says that a uh, it was obviously a top secret project and only a tight circle of entities knew about it, which I don't know if you can take that as canon, but it was apparently some kind of top secret project from in some group and otherwise an experiment that go, goes awry. Canon then is a bounty hunter because he wants to prove himself to be the best bounty hunter, the best warrior in the universe, and uh, that's why he's going after the ultimate power in the Olympic Cluster. Your thoughts on Candon? Yeah, so there isn't really anything in the lore that suggests that the program was Galactic Federation or Space Pirate in origin. So I just kind of assume that it's just some other entity that we've never heard about before, which I think is significantly more interesting personally. Because obviously, you know, the you know, the galaxy is a huge place. You know, there's infinite possibilities, you know. There's obviously other outside forces working, you know, than just the pirates and the Federation, uh, you know, the Chozo, the Luminoth and whatnot. I highly doubt the Chozo or the Luminoth uh, would uh, would undergo this kind of program. Maybe Ravenbeak. I don't know. But uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. Candon's lore is a uh, super interesting and kind of going into that um that process he went through. So in the logbook entry, um, it specifically mentioned that he was bioengineered with genetic material from the galaxy's most dangerous predatory insects. That's from okay. the uh, the sting larva in entry in particular. A good call. So good call. it meant so so it mentions that. Uh, on the on the official website, though, which, you know, not quite a primary source, but I, I feel like pretty close to a primary source. Um, it mentions that stress from the neural combat encoding sequence was more than Candon's still mortal brain could handle, 
and left and ferocious, deadly, and dangerously unpredictable. So to me, what I kind of gathered from those two entries is that Candon started out as, you know, you know, a regular mortal organism, and then he was given, you know, you know, these different genetic encodings of like various different species that turned turned him into what he is today. Yeah, that's kind of what I got. That there was some individual beforehand, and then they shoved a bunch of stuff into him. But I was like, what could a cannon have possibly been? Like, was he a big bug man before, or was you know, like, or or did he eventually? Like, I, I get the. I I assume he probably looked drastically different before because it specifically mentions that you know, the encoding was from you know dangerous predatory insects. So I feel yeah. like those in- insect encodings turned him into what he looks like today. But also kind of how that wording is almost kind of feels like what if they're really like they literally created like an individual from scratch throwing all those like bits biological matter together to create like an embryo or something that they grew from that. That's also kind of the interpretation I was getting out that they wasn't like an individual that they they patched stuff into, but rather they took a bunch of genetic material to create a new being from scratch. And that became canon. And then once it was a big yoked insect guy they started to do all the mind stuff and that's when he went crazy. So I don't know mm-hmm. I, that I, I do agree that it is way more interesting if it's an, an organization or a, a race or species, whatever it is behind Canon, that is not one we know about that I think is some of the coolest stuff. Cause I agree. Like the met, like the universe is so vast. There have to be tons of evil organizations trying to create the ultimate weapon or whatever it is. Right. Like the, it can't just be the space pirates and the Galactic Federation that have had this great idea, you know? So I think that's a, a really that's something I've always thought was really cool. Like who is behind this? But at the same time, you could look at it and be like, oh, maybe it is a space pirates. We know it fits their MO. They are kind of insect like. So it kind of fits that. And if it you know, I'm sure with the with the Metroids not working out all the time, I'm sure they're always they're all we know they're always trying to create other things than Metroids, like Omega Pirates or whatever it is, that like Phasen was huge for them because like, oh, we can do something that's not Metroids. That could help us take over, you know, the galaxy or whatever. Canon could have been one of those side projects as well. But I do agree it would be more interesting if it wasn't them. Mm-hmm. So I, I think Canon would be, and I, I want to go into this more later. Actually, I, I, maybe I want to spoil it too much. But I would love to just actually get, again, that origin. Like, what? who was behind the lab? Like, what was Canon beforehand? would love to get kind of that that prequel story for this guy. I there there's another hunter that isn't really tied to like previous metric because obviously when when you know people think of returning characters, Silex is obviously the big one because we're it's all but confirmed that he's going to be in a prime four. Mm-hmm. And then Weevil is obviously tied to the space pirates. So by association, where a lot of people are interested in, you know, delving did, you know, his lore and whatnot. But like in terms of characters that aren't really, you know, you know, they don't really have a link to, like, already established material. I feel like Candon and another character we'll talk about later, um, I think are, like, one of the most interesting characters that I would really like to explore. Even if it ends up just never really connecting to that mainline story, I just think it's, like, a fun side story that I just really... I, there's so much material there that to work with. I 100% agree. At least it's, like, it's such a good setup for the character that you can really go in a lot of different directions. And I, I, the one thing I want to say before we move on, I think it's kind of funny how with this game specifically, how like they had to kind of come up with ways for like these really weird and, uh, you know, sometimes abstract characters to still be a bounty hunter. Like 
<laughs> like how Cannon is like literally like a laboratory insect, but still somehow gets a legitimate job of being a bounty hunter for some reason. And like, it wasn't enough that this thing is just a crazy experiment gone wrong and is has a lust for power. It also needs to be a bounty hunter to prove its superiority, quote unquote. Yeah, I, I was like, why? Why was that necessary? Um, he he has gone crazy, <laughs> but he has enough of it his, his inhibitions to like be able to like remain calm while in the interview process. Yeah, like I think that part is very. I just can imagine like them trying to hire like a bounty hunter, and they get a call from a literal bug man like growling out them like, yeah. This guy isn't gonna get the job done. Let's hire him. And like, what does Cannon do with money? Like, you know, like I'd, so that part I always thought was very funny. I think it would have been fine if they just been like, yeah, he's a, a crazy insect thing that wants to destroy stuff, and it found the transmission and wants the the power. Like that's that's enough. That's the side. That's the side story. That's the side story we, we deserve. Is like how Cannon got the job, and it's like you know we see like T- Cannon like you know it is you know. You know, his dressed to the nines and like his best like interview materials, you know, just, you know, all suited up, you know, perfectly parted shoulders, just like looking fly as hell, you know, that's that's the manga. I, that's the manga I want to read <laughs> is, is the Kanda a, a Candon slice of life manga. That's what I want. Like and what we and what we say your greatest skill set is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nailed it. No, yeah, I, I agree. I think that was. Uh, a funny aspect of it to be fair though that part of it is mostly brought in by the official players guide it's like i guess i think the manuals kind of like hint at like okay he wants power and and whatnot but i think the guide kind of like goes farther to be like he wants to prove himself which feels like gives him more agency than it seems like he actually has as a character so uh, who knows maybe he's uh, maybe he's one of the best bounty hunters out there yeah, the website also mentions that, but I feel like that's about on par with like the strategy guide in terms of like I agree. how accurate that is. I agree. I, I see the mark. I, I see Metroid.com as the same kind of marketing PR thing as as the the player's guide or Nintendo Power, where it's pulling from this. It's not a it's not a primary source for sure. So, but who knows? All right, let's jump into our next hunter, who is a fun a fun character and is made of rocks one of another rock based character in the metroid series spire some cool lore in this character one of the char- one of the characters in this in this game that's not outright a, a bad guy in in some extent essentially so spire made of rocks as i mentioned mostly motivated motivated by the fact that he is the last of his species the diamonds and his main motivation is to essentially learn what happened to his people, whether or not they're still around and whether or not there is either a location for them or maybe what their fate was. So uh, another familiar trope in the Metroid series, a a race of aliens disappeared and people are looking for them and can't find them. What happened to them? Who knows? So the diamonds are on that list. And, And again, I think that's cool because the universe is vast. I'm sure there are hundreds thousands tens of thousands of extinct alien races uh, you know advanced ones out there that have been lost to time and and maybe you know last remnants of their species trying to look for them so spire we don't really know too much about that other other than that what he's looking for we know that he becomes a bounty hunter to essentially aid in trying to figure out what happened to his people what happened to his species one of the things that i like about it is that he is not he has good like intentions the but the ends justify the means for him like he'll do whatever it takes to get that information so he's in that gray area he'll uh he'll do 
uh, bounties and taking criminals. If it helps him, he'll also do crimes and whatnot and be a criminal if it helps him. So has that little bit of, you know, gray moral area, but ultimately his, his, his virtues are just, so to speak, in terms of he's just looking for, he's doing it for a good reason. He's not trying to like essentially like destroy anything, but we don't really know much about him aside from that. A very cool character though. And, has some really cool interactions in game where he doesn't take damage from lava and can climb up, climb up rock walls, which is really dope. But a big question, what happened to the diamonds and, and what else is Spire up to? Doom, what do you think about Spire? Uh, I know a certain fan of the discord uh, <laughs> that has been waiting for this moment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sh shout out to our boy Spire fan. Who we've actually had on the podcast before uh, earlier this year. In fact, when we did mapping Metroid uh, VOD. So yeah, definitely check that out. If you want some more, uh, Metroid Prime Hunters lore from us. Uh, but yeah, in the meantime, yeah, Spire probably we know the least amount, I want to say, compared to like all the other all the other hunters. But, you know, I was talking about earlier how, you know, there's other unrelated to, to the Metroid series that I wanted to cover. And uh, the second one goes to Spire because I think the premise is super interesting. Like you have one person just, you know, trying. It, it's almost it's almost the most human like of all of them. Yes. I feel like that's. You know, Spire almost represents, you know, us to a degree as well. You know, every person, you know, at some point in their life thinks about, like, what is my place in the universe? Like, where do we come from? Mm -hmm. You know, what is, you know, what is, you know, there's so much knowledge out there, you know, regarding, like, you know, humanity, life itself, you know, the concept of time that, you know, we're never going to know about. Like, what are the answers? And Spire is kind of all of that condensed, you know, to a much smaller scale. But just one that I, I just find really fascinating, you know, despite him being uh, a one dimensional character, to put it kindly. But yeah, um, but yeah, but again, like but like that one, you know, just that one summary, like, again, there's so much to work off with. And I feel like there's a really, you know, a really um, engrossing story to like really to really get in there. That, that being said, though, you know, we were also or sorry, go on. No, keep going. Keep going. I was gonna say that being said, uh, you you also mentioned how they find really funny ways to tie um all the hunters into being bounty hunters, and I feel like this is one of the more outlandish ones almost because it's like you have a guy trying to find his, you know, the source of his people, and it's like all right, source of ultimate power, like okay, where's the uh, where wh where where's the connection there? Like, <laughs> it, it it I don't know, it kind of feels like he's just chasing random shoestrings that. There's no evidence that they have any relation to like what he's actually looking for, but he's just kind of going, yeah, sure. Ultimate power. Why not? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, I think why it works because he is that like desperate, like he is going to try any Avenue to try to get the information that he needs. So why, I mean, what, what could better help you in your goals than any, if you have any goal, any dream, than the ultimate power. Right. So I, you know that what makes sense. That is true. Now that, now that you mention it, because obviously we know the ultimate power is the Omega Cannon, but like ultimate power, that. when you hear about it, is vague. Like, who? It, it, maybe it's not a weapon. Maybe it's you know something that can answer your question. That that is true. Now that you mentioned, I that. mean, even yeah. if he did know it was a literal weapon, I would still say that's a pretty solid bargaining chip, right? That's pretty solid leverage there in any situation to have the ultimate power as a literal gun, and you're trying to get information. Well, nothing gets information better from things than sticking a gun in their face. So. I can still see it, like, even if he had known it was a literal weapon, that'd be like, well, I don't know what's going to help me, but if anything's going to help me, it might be this. So, I, I, I like that. Like, he's the last of his species, the last of his kind. He he doesn't know what's going to help him. He has no idea. So, why not try literally any thread? I think that's kind of what makes his story 
like more desperate, more sad as he has no idea if any of these paths are ever going to lead him down uh, to the truth he wants to find. And he might not ever get it. And maybe exploring those different paths is what makes him a really interesting character and a cool story to follow, which would be really fun to, to, to follow in the future. So, yeah, I, I think that part is cool. And, and like we were talking about, I think it, there is kind of like a sweet irony of the most human of the characters is a literal rock <laughs> of all the, the hunters. So I always like that that aspect of his story. But it, that's another funny kind of thing where yeah like you're hiring a bounty hunter and like a big rock man shows up but i mean in the metroid universe if a sentient rock shows up willing to do the job like i'll pay him you know i mean to be fair like he's not the first sentient rock i mean thordis was there well before him so no but thordis is like sentient is like you can't really talk to thordis you know like i think you can talk to spire i think you can have a conversation with him I, I mean, I mean, I don't think the concept of sentient Rockman and Metroid yes. <laughs> is like all that is all that goofy. Like it's right. like, yeah, we've seen it before. Like it, ma it makes sense. Yeah. I, um, I do, I do like that Spires in here real quick. That like this, and and as we go to the other characters too, that like all like I didn't I like that all these hunters are not just like evil bad guys. Like there's yeah, there's agreed. variation of like their backgrounds, their motivations. Like some of them are very clearly evil. Some of them are like maybe not evil but chaotic. Other ones are kind of skirting the line, and maybe some are too good for their own good, as we'll get into. So I, I mm -hmm. do like that, but but go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, there's, there's a couple of interesting um, lore tidbits that I wanted to read off. First, uh, we got ourselves a primary source from the uh, the main Spire scan. Uh, it mentions that uh, physiologi uh, physiology indicates the presence of molten ferrous compounds, normally found only in a planet's core, which I thought was really interesting because it almost gives like, you know, almost gives insight into potentially his birth process where maybe like Spire's race, the diamonds are like formed literally in planetary cores, mm -hmm. which I think is really cool. Like that's like, that's pretty interesting. Also makes the diamonds way harder to find because they could either be on the surface of a planet or inside at any portion of the planet. <laughs> that is true. I never thought about that. Like that is very true. Like You could just walk by a diamond. You have no idea. It'll just be a rock. <laughs> and then um and then a secondary source here going to the um uh, the Smash Trophy Lore description. And I believe this is the only place it's mentioned. So, you know, take that for what you will. But uh, I mentioned Spire uses the Magmal, a weapon passed down through Diamond Generations. Mm. Uh so that I believe is an exclusive bit of info that, you know, that this is a weapon that has been passed down almost from like ancestry, which if true, that also is really interesting because it almost, you know, you know, was Spire gifted this? Did Spire have contact with his ancestors beforehand? If not, you know, where did he find? Where, where did he find? I f I feel like those are some really interesting implications that I want to explore as well. Yeah, absolutely, and it gives more of a good reason for why he's so desperate to find the rest of his kind. If he was just some lone wolf bounty hunter, he might not care what happened to the rest of his people. But it seems like he has a lot more of a connection beyond just being part of them like he clearly is, has like you know the culture and tradition are all big parts of his life as well which is really cool yeah that magma would be like the last remaining like heirloom that like ties into his people yeah this last remaining link absolutely which is very similar to samus and her power suit to the chozo for it up yeah, until dread yeah. <laughs> Yeah, except for the random magmal that uh, Samus finds in the Hunter's campaign, but you know, we don't worry about that one. game logic. <laughs> we don't worry about that one. I, I, before we move on, I also think it is interesting that he doesn't know what happened to his people. 
Like, mm-hmm. how, I, I'm, I'm very curious as like, what were the conditions where he doesn't know what happened to them? Because it kind of makes sense that Samus doesn't have the whole story about the Chozo because she, she isn't a Chozo. She is, but she isn't. But Spire is very clearly a diamond. He wasn't like adopted by rocks or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that he would not know what happened to them because it wasn't like he's, it didn't seem like he was like a Star Wars bounty hunter before that. He might have been. But it seems like it becomes a bounty hunter to trap around after the fact. So why, where was he when this happened? Why does he not know? Does he for, did he forget? Was he not there? Was he there and and for whatever reason doesn't know? Maybe he's the reason and we don't know that. Like so, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I, I think that's interesting. The what the circumstances could have been for him to not know in the first place. All right, we have two more of our Metroid Prime hunters hunters to go here. And I think the two, the last two are also just very interesting in terms of character potential. I'm going to jump first into Noxus, who is our, like, where is he on the morality chart? He's the, um, lawful good, I would say extreme lawful good, (laughs) extreme (laughs) lawful good. So a righteous warrior of the Vozone from the outer rim of the galaxy, his, uh, his one thing I love about Noxus no subtext in this guy. Very, very clear. <laughs> does not want evil. Does not want the ultimate power to get into the wrong hands. Is always fighting for good, so to speak. So this is this is uh, very clear from the get-go in almost every source, primary or otherwise, about Noxus. Um, I think what's interesting, the manual, though, kind of shows, and, and I mean, it's, it's, it's obvious from just the description, but how we get very much into the extreme lawful goodness of, of Noxus, where the manual mentions that he uh, doesn't want it to fall into the hands, and by it I mean the ultimate power, he doesn't want it to fall into the hands of, quote, lawbreakers or the unworthy. <laughs> Once you get into the territory of determining who is worthy or unworthy of things, and you becoming the judge, jury, and executioner, that's when you start to get into the extreme side of, of lawful good. So Noxus, a very interesting character, uh, him and the and the Vozone kind of see themselves as like the like almost like space police, I think, in kind of a way, um, exerting vigilante justice upon other other races and other organizations as they deem fit to keep the balance of good and evil established in the galaxy. Wants to stop crime entirely, and I think in that way, as it seems pretty clear, uh, makes Noxus and the Vozone, I think, a really good antagonist for a potential future story because they are so fanatical because they are so extreme in their pursuit of justice that that could be at odds with maybe uh Samus or the Federation. Uh, Doom, what do you think about Noxus? Uh, so, so first off, a small tangent. Um, I, I typically pronounce the word uh, uh, as boson, even oh, though there isn't really an official pronunciation. Well, 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 I was going to go. So you said Vozone. Like Frozone? Which I actually kind of like. I was going to say exactly, because yeah. it reminds me of Frozone. <laughs> how, how did you say it? Voz, Vozon? Vozon. Yeah. Vozon. Yeah, I'm going to be honest with you, man. I This is not a word I've heard many people say out loud <laughs> in my life. I, I, you know what? I, I'm inclined to agree, actually, believe it or not. Vozon. <laughs> Vozon. You know, it probably is Vozon, but I've always thought it was Vozone. <laughs> but, uh, but it makes sense though because Frozone also has ice powers. I think it's you're right. It's probably Vozon. But yeah, go ahead. <laughs> um, yeah, there isn't. Um, so so reading up right here, there isn't really 
any additional info given in like the um instruction manual or um the trophy descriptions or like the website or anything it's pretty pretty straight into the point you know um what i think is really interesting though and we'll talk about this when we get to metroid prime 3 but the um big similarities that um uh that noxus has to uh rundus uh so much to the fact that a lot of people when rundus was first revealed myself included thought that that indeed was noxus until it was confirmed otherwise because of how deep those similarities go from the ice powers you know to the fixation on you know justice and righteousness and all that um you know to the actual character designs so i i have to believe that noxus was like you know very clearly um inspired rundus like i can't even though even though they are completely separate species i, I have to imagine like during the creation process like that was directly like inspired by noxus yeah i i don't think that's a huge reach I agree and disagree in that, like, it, that's probably, like, yeah, there's probably a good chance that there was some inspiration there. I actually don't think there's as much similarity between the two, as you say, besides that they're ice people and they kind of look similar. And character-wise, they're actually very different. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I would not be surprised if they took inspiration from them. They're also kind of uh, not, like, super crazy alien designs. Like, they're not, like, generic alien designs, but... I don't know. Maybe they maybe they both pulled from the same source that I don't know of, and maybe that could just be the coincidence. But th it could also just be like, yeah, Rundus is a ice alien, and oh, here's Noxus, an ice alien. We could just kind of make a similar one to that, and maybe leave a little bit of a connection there. I don't know. To me, like Rundus comes off more as a gunslinger, whereas Noxus is like the ATF, if that makes sense. Well, that's that's <laughs> that's what I was getting at. That's what I wanted to say is that like, yes, Noxus and Rundus, like they look similar. They're they're ice dudes, but Noxus does not have the same penchant for justice and goody goodiness as Noxus does. Like Rundus is like has some ego, like is a lone wolf, doesn't really have like I don't think Rundus really has like a an outward like moral stance ever. I don't think he like he's like he does good, but he's never like, yeah, like I'm doing this for justice or like I'm doing this to you know, like I don't think he ever well, there is so that. there is one there is one specific dialogue and you know maybe maybe I'm reading too much into it but like during the elevator ride before the cutscene he specifically says relax we're the good guys justice will prevail and all that stuff right Samus yeah but I always I always thought that was tongue-in-cheek like when he like I don't think he's like I mean he I'm sure he doesn't necessarily disagree with that but I always took that as like he's he's like you know, messing with her. He's like, yeah, the good guys are going to win. You know, I don't think he was literally, I, th I thought there was a tongue in cheek or tongue in mandibles uh, comment there. It, it probably, it probably was, but I also like to believe there's like, there's a little, a little hint of truth there at the same time, you know? Sure. I mean, yeah, that, that's what I'm saying is that I'm sure like at the end of the day, he does have like a, a, a sense of a good sense of morality, right? Like he's a, a good guy, bounty hunter, but I mean, like it's very clearly not on the same level of like fanatic, extreme justice that noxus mm -hmm. has and i think those elements that you're interpreting well, well, that, as, as the justice parts i think are more just camaraderie between him and the other hunters well that's i, I don't think they're carbon copies of each other not even yeah. close i'm just saying like i see a lot of similarities and i have to believe that he was inspired by noxus at yeah. least in from the initial design process I, I yeah, like I said, I do think that there's definitely could be some inspiration, but I don't I don't I don't see that same similarity behind them both being good guys in a way. But I that's as far as the similarity would go personality wise for me. Because otherwise he's more of a he's 
he's like a Cade six kind of from Destiny kind of. He's like cracks a couple of jokes here and there, has a little like elbowy thing. I, I was about to say a Cade six. That's going right over my head. <laughs> not entirely Cade six, but like that's he's like he has a, like all three of them kind of even well, Gundrida too. But like they're kind of like there's camaraderie between the hunters. Like they kind of have respect for each other. They're all going into the storm together, so they're you know not going to be super serious. They can joke around a little bit. And Rundus ha- always had that little bit of egoness to him. Like I think there's a line where he's like, "Yeah, if I was there, like it wouldn't have, yeah, it would have gone that down that way." Would have happened if I was there. Exactly. Like that's something where he's like, he just gassing himself up. You know, like he's a little <laughs> ego, so, um, which I always liked about his character. So back to Noxus, though. Yes, we don't really know much about. Um, him otherwise sense of justice i think this character has such a huge potential to be an antagonist and the rest of the um of his race as well because they have that such extreme sense of like judgment across you know across the board that could really be at odds with a lot of the major factions in the series yeah honestly noxus if anything really i I feel like noxus was almost inspired by judge dread because he literally is the judge the jury and the executioner like all in one and I mean, like his weapon is literally the judicator. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is the goofiest name for a weapon ever, but I kind of love it it's at the same time. Name. Judicator. Like, that's a sick <laughs> name. I love I think all the, a lot of the uh the hunters weapons names are are sick like the imperialist, the battle hammer, like those are dope. They were Battle really hammer cool. is sick. I love that. Yeah. Speaking of the imperialist, by the way, let's jump into our sixth and final hunter of the Metroid Prime Hunters, Trace, who if if there's a character that I think could really come back, a, a race of aliens that could really come back and be an antagonist, man, Trace and the Kraken are just like straight up evil alien monster stuff. Like that's just, you know, that's like almost the flood in a way that you just, that everyone hates them. That's something that you'll see across like all the primary sources for this. Um, Trace is a, a uh, member of the Kraken race. He's on a rite of passage, which happens for all young Kraken. They get exiled, and they're meant to go out into space, find a planet for the Kraken to conquer, and then they're brought back into the fold, and, and they're, I guess, they they succeed, and they win, and they go through the rite of passage. So that's what, that's what Trace is doing. He comes across the broadcast for the ultimate power, and I believe he's either thinking, like, at the very least, this weapon's going to make me look like a... Like a a huge Chad when I bring this back to everybody like this is going to make me a hero. And at the very minimum, you know, if I don't succeed, the Olympic cluster has a bunch of planets. I could probably take over one of them, which I don't know how valuable they are, but I could, you know, he could do that. So that all the lore entries, like all the, the, the resource, the sources seem to back this up. Everyone hates the Kraken because they're one of the most hated and feared races in the galaxy. Uh, Trace is in the middle of a conquest kind of thing, rite of passage. And that's how he ends up in the story of Metro Prime Hunters. What do you think about Trace? I Trace, I think, personally, one of the coolest backgrounds, one of the coolest character designs, and a lot of potential. I mostly like Trace. I don't know if it's just me. I'm not the biggest fan of how much Hunters over relies on kind of the floating head archetype. Like, it would be fine if it was one, but, like, you have Trace, you have the Olympics themselves. Like, these floating heads are, like, all over the place, but that's that's a pretty minor nitpick overall. But, yeah, but, uh, yeah Trace is, like... A really, I feel like a, a pretty obvious antagonist for the series future. I don't think it'll ever happen, but like it's like the, the the biography is like right there. Like there's there's so much to work off of there, and like making him like, you know, or at least you know the Cricket Empire in general, like the next big threat. It it kind of reminds me of like the um, 
uh, the Yuuzhan Vaughn and like the Star Wars expanded universe to a degree where it's like after the Empire fell, that was like the next big threat that like you know yeah intru- intrude the galaxy, and that kind of that's kind of what like Trace and the Kraken remind me of to a degree. All right, so it's Kraken or Kraken. I have no idea. <laughs> cricket uh, again, makes sense because, like, they're kind of bug-like, like crickets. Like, I don't know, but I always thought like they were kraken. Cri- I don't even know where I got that from. Kraken, mate. <laughs> I, I don't know. It kind of sounds like kraken, which is kind of another monster thing to me, but not similar. That's how I always looked at it. Anyway, uh huh. Yeah, I the yeah obvious obvious antagonist here. This is one of those things again in Metroid where like something is referenced as being a big deal. But you would think because they're such a big deal, we'd see them more, you know, like if they're if the cricket or Kraken are the most hated and feared race in the, in the galaxy, we should fight them in Metroid aside from hunters. We should be they I would love it, actually, if they were the big antagonist going forward, maybe the next big, big bad in Metroid. Yeah, I feel like you could do something similar to like a Plague Tale where, you know, they ha- they like render all the rats on screen. I feel like that because like you see that in the opening the opening cutscene where you like have all the swarms of like them just like crawling, crawling and then you have like trace kind of like posed on on top of all of them like that's kind of how i imagine just like this this wave of like just you know aliens oh you know kind of like kind of like the world war z movie you know where there's that one scene yeah. of like all the the wave of zombies literally just like clawing and piling over each other that's kind of how i imagine yes. just like an absolute scores just you know literally drowning planets and empires i mean i think that's even how the his like intro cutscene goes like there's a big pile swarm of of Kryken yeah yeah that's what i was referencing yeah 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 so like that's yeah i i i think that's like such an obvious pick i, I think that's really like a really cool way to bring a really awesome character design back and it makes sense because as far as we know like trace survived hunters like trace is probably would have gone right back on his rite of passage, right? Like he would have continued that. I'm, I would assume. So I'm very curious to like, okay, what's Trace been up to since then? Like, have we just kind of forgotten about this really big, bad thing that's happening, and just let him go do his thing after the events of Hunters? Well, first off, even if Trace didn't survive, like he's one member of right. like an entire species that are still a threat. But even that aside, if you get the um the the true ending of Hunters, you can see all six of the bounty hunters indeed escaping from the yeah, Oubliette. Right. So yeah. they, they are all alive. Yeah. Like, yeah, so they are technically all I mean, I, I'm mostly asked that like, are they alive after whatever happens there? But gotcha. Trace is the like the big one because again, like you said, like if Trace dies, that doesn't matter. Like there could be millions there are probably billions of traces out there somewhere. And I think that's probably what's really exciting about it. Like, I wonder if there's like a grave mind Kraken, like what's the head of the, of the colony or the, like, what, what's, is there a mother bug or something like what's going on there? Something I would love to, to, to find out. Yeah. We got, um, yeah. Looking at the, um, sources, we got two, two little tidbits from uh, primary sources and one again from some smash trophy lore. Mm-hmm. Um, the trophy lore is actually in this case, probably the least interesting of them. Um, so I guess I'll read that one off first, but um, it says that he seeks the ultimate power uh, to further empower his people and gain fame and strength for himself, which I don't know. I, I don't I don't really interpret that as Trace personally. This is one of those things where it's like I kind of feel Trace to me feels like a part of a collective, a part of a hive mind. I don't really look as tr- look at Trace as an individual. You know, I look at like tr- Trace as a member of an ant colony. Does that make sense? Yes, I, I agree with that. I will say that I'm okay with Trace maybe trying to individualize himself with an Alkalade 
Like that, I think is interesting. Like maybe that is like a thing of the species where they are essentially all ants, but some of them rise up to be individuals, and that's what Trace wants wants to be. That I think is is um, that I think would be cool. But I agree. I've always interpreted Trace as kind of just the one of the colony. Like not necessarily like any one of them is going to be an individual factor. They're all just a big part of a huge mass of of bugs, right? But I think there is some interesting, like, an angle to have him kind of want to have that individual, like, I want to be a hero of my people part. But I think that part of, like, he wants fame for himself is probably just a little bit of flavor text padding in there that doesn't really line up with what he actually, like, I don't think fame is even care yeah. about that. Or, but maybe that's just an extension of, like, wanting to be that individual amongst the, the group. So that could just be an extension of that. Yeah, and then this one is really interesting, especially because, you know, you know, we were talking about, you know, how the swarms, you know, they almost like, you know, it almost they are almost interpreted as like literally drowning entire armies, empires, etc. But in uh, in Trace's main scan in Hunters, it um it says scan indicates the exoskeleton of the hunter uh, may not be as durable as it appears. This potential vulnerability may explain Trace's tactical preference for sniping, uh, which is really interesting because actually kind of going off of what we were talking about how. You know, maybe Trace isn't, you know, just another ant in the colony. Maybe Trace doesn't just want to be, you know, you know, a kind of a human shield, you know, in this wave of like, you know, exposable, you know, carcasses that like, you know, take over empires. Maybe Trace does want to individualize, you know, individualize himself and be someone that lives on, you know, kind of choosing to live another day by sniping, you know, instead of just being a part of like that, um, that carapace kind of tidal wave. Yeah. No, that's that's a cool way of looking at it. I think I think it's it's that and also kind of like one individual Kraken is not a huge threat. But when you have a million of them, that's when they're an issue. So like, yeah, like one of them, you might be able to snap like a twig. But if there's 20 of them, 30, 40, it doesn't matter if you can break it, them, they're just going to overwhelm you. So I, I kind of see it that yeah. way, too, is like he needs to have that kind of utility of like being a sniper because on his own he is vulnerable what makes him strong is being part of the pack but i could also also line up with okay well i'm gonna beat that that uh you know that that boundary that's been built for me and have that power as an individual and not need to be part of the pack to have strength so yeah like just that kind of stuff is really interesting yeah i i will say as as an add-on to that as well um because because it mentions you know his ex exoskeleton is vulnerable um, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe in multiplayer all of the hunters have the same health and damage pools like across the board. Like I don't believe like they're like they like every hunter yeah, like I, I think Yeah, there's the no case. armor armored hunters, there's no weaker hunters, etc. They all take the same damage. If I was doing a hunters too, uh maybe I maybe I would change that a little bit and make it more lore accurate, but also give them, you know, different uh, abilities to compensate for that. But that's getting a little off topic. I could uh, definitely see last in, like a modern version of this because it is like a hero shooter, like a character shooter where, yeah, they have different health pools, different stats, different armor, which I think is more of the thing now than it was 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then uh, last one before we uh, move on to Prime 3, um, it mentions Trace's alternate form, the Triskelion, mm -hmm. is a sophisticating, uh, sophisticated cricket military biotechnology uh, that allows Trace to biomorph. And then it talks about what it is. Which I find really interesting because, you know, the impression that I got when playing the game is that that's just a natural ability that comes as a part of being in that being that species. But no, it is a it is a bio it is a bioweapon that was specifically built and applied to Trace. And so I almost yeah. wonder, like, how that, you know, what 
is that process because it, it looks so natural almost that I always interpreted as just some like mumbo jumbo someone wrote up and like it is yeah. <laughs> it is just him just changing form as like a bug like because that just I think that's enough like I I don't need it to be overwritten like not everything needs to be like a weapon or technology that was like I can I can buy that the bug thing can shape shift a little bit you know into like a smaller bug form but yeah that is interesting like okay they had like like does that mean that trace is the only one who has this or it's only like a limited thing like maybe it's only for certain cricket warriors or something but it seems like something that any of them could really do you know it's not like it's not like a crazy like change or anything like like Candon's changing into a larva like even that i guess is kind of makes sense but like i don't know this doesn't it doesn't seem like his body's changing that much it's an i feel like silex is i feel like silex is um is the craziest change maybe even weevils to a lesser extent weevils i think is the least crazy his makes the most sense because his body is literally a robot and he just cuts himself in half like it's a really cool idea though but it makes sense so yeah for sure for um, sure. oh i just honestly by the way i i want to quickly bring this up good to go back to noxus since we're talking about alt forms i don't know if you meant or saw this but in the um I think it was the Nintendo Power issue. It mentions how his alt form is the way it is because they spin in place to stay warm on their home planet because it's so cold. So I don't know if you had read that. <laughs> and I, I that vaguely, I vaguely remember that now that you mention it. I vaguely, cause yeah, that was, yeah, I believe there was think, a specific Hunter's issue. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's, I think that's like one of the only mentions of the alt forms being for like a non-combat purpose. And it's like, yeah, that's what they do on their planet to stay warm. And now I'm just like, if, if Rundus was also one of them, envisioning Rundus spinning in top form too. Um, yeah. All right. Well, those are our six Metroid Prime Hunters. Hunters, we can talk more about their futures in a little bit, but we're going to jump real quick over to the Metroid Prime 3 Hunters Doom. Uh, we did talk about these, these three in good detail in our Metroid Prime 3 Corruption episode recently. So again... Another shout out if you want to hear more in-depth stuff about these hunters. We go way more in-depth into all three of them in the Metroid Prime 3 Corruption episode. But, Doom, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, um, like, like our episodes have been doing pretty good lately. But the Corruption episode, personally, it's one of my favorites that we've done. So, like, if you haven't checked it out, I would highly recommend it. Because it was such a fun episode to do. Yeah, so, so we do talk about them on that episode. Going back to these to these hunters, I actually kind of felt like... You know, in the grand scheme of things, we actually don't know that much about these hunters, m that much more than the Metroid Prime Hunters characters, actually. When you really go to their backstory, we really don't know that much more about them individually than we do Canon or Noxus, really. We learn more about them because they're very obviously active characters in the Metroid Prime 3 Corruption story, but their backstory, their lore, I would say is a is about as in depth or not as all of the hunters in Metroid prime hunters. Certainly you can say that like, these are characters that were like, were planned in the story and are not just like multiplayer variations that had backstories thrown in after, but going back to all of them, they don't actually that have super in depth backstories either. Yeah. I'm reading through, um, I'm reading through the logbook entries right now. And a lot of them just kind of either talk about their current abilities, like in the context of a boss fight, or kind of like, you know, just um, it's kind of like, you know, stuff that's happening within the present. They doesn't really go into detail about, you know, a lot of the background 
you know, again, aside from like the occasional sentence or paragraph, you know, similar to like the um the Prime Hunters, I I think you might be onto something there. Yeah, because I, I, it's I think it's funny when this has been brought up a lot. I think where people are like, yeah, the Prime Three corruption, like those hunters are more in depth, like they're fuller characters, blah blah blah. Which is true because they're in the active story, but as full characters, they're really that not that much, you know, more in depth than what we got in Hunters. Yeah, like for example, for Gore, we really don't know like anything about this guy. He was a war veteran, and he lost like once again loses like ninety five percent of his body and gets rebuilt. Metroid loves this, but we don't know like what he was doing before. Like, was he is he from? the planet that that war was was being fought on like what was he doing before that what side was he on we don't know what he was bounty hunting for it only really mentions that he champions the weak poor and downtrodden and he would often work for free or give bounty money he would earn from doing bounties um away but other than that like we don't really have much backstory on who gore was why he's where he is what side of that war he was on who he was before that and a lot of, of what we know about him comes from that one scan we have and then interacting with him in game. And unlike the other kind of good hunters, Gore is probably the most purely good, I think, of all the hunters that we we meet. He is he's yep. not he doesn't have like, you know, he's not like Spire where he does like, you know, kind of sometimes bad things for a good reason. Um, he isn't like an extreme fanatic. He's just kind of a good dude who wants to do good things and and use the rest of his body and life as much as he can. In fact, I'm ass- I'm assuming that's why he's like that. He he barely survived and is now using his new lease on life to help people because he essentially barely survived that war. But other than that, we really don't know much about him. Yeah, he, yeah, he. You get the the sense that I assume we're just gonna go right into Gore since we're talking so much yeah, yeah, about him right yeah. now. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I I get the very sense that Gore views himself as very altruistic. You know. I I, I get. Maybe not a direct Robin Hood comparison, but I feel like, you know, that's like kind of the closest figure in my mind that like I would compare Gore to mm-hmm. in like the Metroid universe. Because like especially like you mentioned with the the bounties in particular. And it also mentions what he donate he he doesn't just donate it to random people. He likes to donate it to the victims of the people that he's hunting hunting down. So the people who suffered under the people that he's that he's targeting, he likes to he likes to give back to them. So I thought that was probably probably the most interesting piece of lore that we got even more so than like um, the war he fought in and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It essentially does kind of make him like a galactic Robin hood in that kind of way. And then as a result, you get a really huge like dichotomy between who he is uh, before he gets corrupted. And then afterward, he's like very kind, usual self beforehand, corrupted, super hostile, super not great to hang out with. Not a cool guy. <laughs> Well, even before he gets corrupted, and the scans mention this too, like, when he's out of his suit, like, he's very much, like, you know, he's very much docile, he's kind, you know, he's polite, and, you know, he's understanding, but then once he, like, gets into his mech, um, it's like all of that goes out the window, and he's a completely different character, he's agitated, he's aggressive, he's impatient, and honestly, I'm not really a fan of this trait, um, like, like, it's definitely unique, it's interesting, but I don't know, I kind of... I don't know, there's something about Gore merging with machines and just him becoming a different character, just... I don't know, it's because it, I find I find him out of the suit to be an interesting character, and him in the suit just kind of, uh, you know, just kind of just a random, you know, just brute force kind of, like, like dumb-dumb, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. 
I kind of always took it as like when he's out of combat, like, you know, he's the, the warrior in the garden. Right. And he, he strategic and, and very aware and observant. But then when it has time to get down to business, sometimes the, you just got to throw hands, you know, and he just does that. So I kind of, I, I kind of like that, that difference there, but it, it didn't necessarily. Well, I don't, well, I don't mind it. I don't mind him throwing hands. It's just like, it's such a stark personality difference. Yeah, and I just find, I find his character once he does go into that, just to not be anywhere near as interesting. It feels very one note yeah. as compared to, you know, the regular gore, which I feel like has pretty in depth. Well, that, that's what I was kind of getting at is like, he's, he becomes kind of one note because he's now in, in the zone. He's, you know, he's in combat mode and you get the two note of the character from him being inside and outside of the suit. So I, I can, I see what you're coming from. Like, yeah, the, if you just look at just his combat mode, so to speak, yeah, he might be one note, but he's more than that, obviously outside of the suit. And that's kind of where the, that contrast comes, but I, I see what you're saying. I don't think you necessarily mm-hmm. need to be like agitated all the time either, but I kind of, I kind of like that, like the stark dichotomy between the two halves where he goes from so like docile to being so agitated it, it made for a memorable character, even if maybe a little grating at times. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. Um, it also mentions, speaking of his armor suit, um, the uh, the logbook entry uh, mentions that his armor suit also doubles as his gunship, which mm. um, makes sense. Pretty well, cool. Well, we even see that at the end of the game, or not the end of the game, at the end of his fight where he tries to get away and he tries to go into gunship mode and, and it blows up. So, and he, so, so we do see that in game as well. Um, For the sure. next, the next hunter. Oh, do you have another another call out on lore? Uh, oh yeah, there it is. Yeah, I got one more. Um, at the end of the log bay entry, it mentions uh, he demonstrates a high proficiency with all things mechanical, seems self explanatory, and is often called upon for missions requiring a uh, computer infiltration or manipulation, which makes sense because originally, um, Gore's mission had to do with you know cleansing the Levi- um cleansing the Aurora units of the unknown vaccine at that point. So. Yeah, it, may, it gives it gives a little bit of something that makes sense as to why he would be like you know one of the first people that was contacted. Speaking of another character that was contacted, Gondreda, also from an unknown homeworld of the game, specifically mentions it's an unknown homeworld, but uh, apparently has a quote metamorphic ability similar to the biomorphs of Jovia Twelve, which I just kind of put as like flavor text mumbo jumbo but um, yeah (laughs) but essentially another hunter um kind of ish like canon actually kind of sees bounty hunting as a sport as a means to like get the be the best at in a way oddly enough see samus as her main rival and i always kind of thought that was funny because like samus doesn't seem to care about that whatsoever (laughs) 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 so it's like very one-way relationship there Obviously becomes a, a space pirate commander once she's under the influence of, of Phazen and Dark Samus and uh, ends up tricking Samus as a Federation Marine, tries to get her and go to her into a fight and does. But again, no real background. We don't know where she's from. We know she's similar to beings on another planet, which you can maybe surmise maybe she's also from there. I think that's maybe what it's kind of hinting at. But otherwise, like. We don't really have much of an identity. Like we know what she looks like and her name is, but where she's from, what she's up to, how she got to where she's going to be or where she, where, where she got to is, is still again, uh, very unclear. Yeah. Gandreda is, is that Twitch chatter. That's like always donating subs, trying to get Samus's attention. And it's just, it's just not working. Just absolutely not working at all. And then finally she's like, okay, 
fine, forget this. I'm going to start my own streaming channel. I'm going to beat you, Sam. That's that's literally the Gandreda backstory. And I kind of like it. Yeah. No, I, I like that. Again, I love the camaraderie <laughs> of all the hunters and and Gandreda like, goes out of her way to mess with Samus multiple times, both the beginning of the game and then later in the game. Um, one of the things I thought was was cool about her is, again, we when we see that dichotomy from when she's uncorrupted to corrupted, you know, she goes from seeing Samus as like a rival to, I believe, one of the space pirates mentioning it in their scans that she plans to like bring Samus's like bloody helmet as a trophy to Dark Samus. So Samus goes from being a rival to being like a trophy that she could present to Dark Samus there. Um, and one of the other things I thought was really interesting, we kind of see this like progression of how much each character kind of reverts to their old self when they're about to die. So Gore doesn't really like. Gore kind of just like runs off when he's like about to die or whatever. But when Gundreda dies, if I remember correctly, and uh, from what I read, she kind of like reaches out to Samus at the end a little bit. She's kind of like kind of looking for help a little bit, and you kind of see that like old the original the initial Gundreda, and and we talk about Rundus, we see it way more with him, mm-hmm. um, where we see that like original Gundreda slip back before um, before her time, and that relapse is a little harder there. So that was interesting. Yeah, I've kind of always interpreted that as, like, after the fight when, like, Samus has whittled down the help, I always interpreted that as, like, you know, for a brief moment, Samus has broken, you know, the corruption Dark Samus has on them, and, like, in their final moments, they're, like, actively conscious and, like, finally aware of, like, what's transpired before their ultimately demise, which is super dark and unfortunate, but, yeah. Yeah, it even happens, I mean, it happens with Rundus very clearly. Which, uh, yeah. you know, which is which makes his death that much harder. But with Gondreda, we, we see that like glimpse of it. It's it's a little more than Gore, not as much as Rundus. And I love that little progression we get um, between them. But otherwise, yeah, I, she also becomes Mistress Gondreda by the Space Pirate. She gets a title <laughs> change, which is a little weird. Um, I, yeah, I, I think her character ultimately is, is cool. She has this, she's a weird type of bounty hunter because she's this like amorphous, like protozoa looking character doesn't like wear armor a very abstract kind of sci-fi character that doesn't like almost doesn't fit in metroid like very much an outlier like character design wise but in some ways not as much because we are used to characters being like just big like masses of energy or or whatever right floating around so gondreda was such a unique character because i feel like wherever she's from has to be one of the most abstracted out of out of this world no pun intended no, no pun intended places in metroid well i think you mentioned like how out of place and abstract it is because i feel like the game also agrees because it mentions uh details on the subject's origins and age are unknown so like there isn't even any data on like what gandreda's species is you know you know in the earlier you mentioned that like yeah earlier you mentioned like the only the closest thing that they can compare her to is like shape-shifting uh species of uh jovia whatever that planet was called Mm -hmm. which i think is interesting and they don't even know what her age is which I think also makes sense when you have someone who's shape-shifting so often and you can't really get a grasp on like what that original form is and what that aging process would be like. Mm-hmm. So it probably, on one hand, probably a boring bit of flavor text that I'm looking way, to, way into, but I like looking way into it, and I think that's really cool. This episode is literally looking at the flavor text of the games, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that's what we're here for. Um, and let's jump into it. Uh, Rundus here, the most iconic and memorable of the Metroid Prime 3 Hunters, and, and maybe arguably, aside from Silex, like the most well-known and memorable of all the Hunters in Metroid. 
uh, if not the most well-known. Rundus, not Noxus, another ice dude, cool, chill, has some one-liners, a couple quips, he had a little bit of an ego, uh, a really um, dramatic death in the series. Born on a moon of the planet uh, Bess, or Bess, Bess 3, um, which is called, the moon is called Phrygis, which is a little fun um, cold pun, I think. So apparently the, uh, I'm going to butcher this, Phrygisians, Phrygisians, I guess is what they are. Phrygisians, I don't know. Phrygisians, maybe, um, can manipulate and generate ice, and Rundus is one of the few that's able to use it as, uh, as a bounty hunter. We don't really know anything else about him aside from that. Like he's a bounty <laughs> hunter. Apparently, uh, the I mean the Hergesians are pretty chill and don't really bounty hunt, so he's kind of one of the outliers to do so and has a little bit more of an ego than the others. But we never met the other ones, so we really don't know. Uh, obviously, becomes a space pirate uh, commander, and but I don't want to go into his death immediately because I do want to talk about that. But yeah, we again don't really learn very much about him. We learn that he kind of has that camaraderie with Samus, like very clearly respects her, um, also saves her life I think multiple times in the game, and is is uh, definitely on top of that. <laughs> so objectively saves her life once. The 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 time before that debatable. I at least in gameplay, I know that I personally could have taken out all those ships on my own. So I'm just yes. throwing that out there. <laughs> I agree with that. That's one of the, I think one of my biggest beefs in Metroid games sometimes is where a cutscene doesn't allow me. If I were the player to do, to take the thing out that takes Samus out in the cutscene or stops her progress. So Rundus, very cool character also has one of the best themes in the Metroid yes. series. Um, I want to bring that up, but yeah, doom uh, thoughts on Rundus. Uh, first off, voiced by the incredible uh, Chris Sabat, who I actually yes. had the opportunity to uh, meet and get his autograph last year on my uh, my Prime Trilogy case, my sealed Prime Trilogy case at that. Okay. So uh, that was really tight. Um, yeah, Chris Sabat, uh, for those who don't know, he's a uh, voice Vegeta in the North American localization of Dragon Ball Z and countless other anime and video games as well. That would take way too long to list off. Um, yeah, super prolific guy and uh Really nice from the short time I got to meet him. But going back to Rundus himself, uh, like you said, not a lot to work with here. Um, I still stand that I personally believe that he's at least somewhat inspired by Noxus, but we already talked about that. Um, one thing I will talk about in this lore entry right here, uh, we, we talked about how he's, you know, he has a bit, bit of an ego. Um, it specifically mentions right here in this lore entry, his, uh, his arrogant demeanor has led him to mainly seek solo missions, and he rarely works well with others. So I think that definitely checks out for his, um, for his character description. But I also think that makes the way he specifically interacts with Samus that much cooler. It's like Rundus has little to no respect. And we kind of even see that towards An Admiral Dane a little bit when he, you know, when he gives him lift during that, uh, during that briefing. But like when he's talking about Samus, it's just like he views her as an equal, which again, like, just a really subtle way of making Samus look just that much yes. more of like, you know, an all powerful warrior. Absolutely. Yeah. Like that. I, I would even say that's the only character he gives respect to is Samus. And that it doesn't mm -hmm. make Samus seem like a joke or an outsider. Like she's the bar right there. Like Andreda messes with her and is a rival to her because she sees Samus as a rival. Like he sees Samus as an equal. Gore clearly sees her as an equal. Yeah. And going, you know, going back to that elevator scene to call back to that again, you know, all the other hunters are giving her crap. Like, Gandrade is like, yo, what are you doing, man? You're late. Like, this planet's going to blow. The meteor's approaching faster than you did. Rudd is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Guys, God. 
this is my girl Samus over <laughs> here. Like, we're gonna be fine. Yeah. She's a main character. She's the main <laughs> character. It's, uh, if anything, we are the ones who have something to be worried about. Our time. Is yeah. Short. <laughs> yes, I know. I agree. Yeah, as, I as, they're, as they're all putting on their red T-shirts. Yeah. Yeah. Prime Three just does a really good job of that of of showing like characters showing respect to Samus. Like that's how you you get a lot of like that camaraderie and you get a lot of like the importance Samus has that other characters give to her, like the Federation Marines and, and crew on the ship, Brundus, Admiral Dane, like Admiral Dane even has that little connection with her above the other hunters. Like really, like you can tell, like of all of them, they, he really trusted Samus at, at the end of the day. So yeah, prime three does a really good job of that. And Rundus is certainly an extension of that for sure. Literally first thing uh, Dane asks uh, after his fleet damage report is where's Samus? Where's Samus? Mad respect. Where where is the main character of the franchise? We need her. <laughs> Adam never asks that. No. Adam does not yeah, well that's why we need more Admiral Dane and less Adam. I agree with that. Um <laughs> and then his death scene, which I wanna bring up because aside I mean everyone knows yes. it's, a, it's a glorious death scene, but this is where we really see that big uh, like relapse, like him coming back to it, like consciousness. And he, the corruption like lets go of him. He kind of comes to, realizes where he is, confused at first. And before Samus gets an opportunity to help him, uh, Dark Samus seems to uh, snipe him from the ground with an icicle, with a big... Uh, a big icicle spears him through the chest and kills him instantly, which was very sad. But that's like the biggest moment where you see a character come out of the corruption, realize what's happening and be like, oh, that that was not cool. <laughs> and Samus being like, oh, they're back. But being unable in cutscene, able to do anything. If it were me, I would have done something, but I wasn't in control of Samus at the time. But that moment is, is mm -hmm. so poignant. And that shows that like that those that progression of moments of the characters coming back and realizing what's happening to him and it comes to a head with Rundus who has the biggest realization the biggest comeback from that corruption just before his untimely demise yeah i actually i actually wonder if like there were other moments like i almost feel like Rundus like you know outside of Samus obviously cuz you know she survives at the end of the game i almost feel like Rundus you know had you know I don't want to say easiest because obviously, you know, certainly wasn't easy for him, but I almost feel like he was able to like avert the corruption better than some of the other hunters because like there's multiple, you, like you have a couple of short run-ins with him mm -hmm. in the game. And there's one where he's like even directly looking at you right before the boss fight. And, you know, he doesn't attack you. He just kind of walks away before, you know, you do a large puzzle. And then during that space pirate fight, when he, uh, when he intervenes and like just encases all the pirates in ice, like, like what? Like what's the what's the reason for doing that other than him having full con, being fully conscious? And then again, immediately after that, he doesn't immediately attack. It's like there's a there's a pause before like, you know, before he does like try to ice Samus. And I almost feel like there's like moments where like he's where he's fully in control, then moments where Dark Samus is in control. So I almost feel like maybe his his willpower is able to more easily fight off that um that corruption. But that's just my own interpretation. Yeah, I wasn't sure which way to go interpreting that because if, to me, what I originally took from it or like what I've always taken from it was that he's not he is definitely not in control, but he has some influence where he's able to essentially reel, reel his corrupted self back from somewhere deep inside of him. And that's why he's observing Samus yeah. and, and stays away as long as he can. Um, the other way, I guess you could look at it as maybe like like a Majin Vegeta kind of deal. 
where he is conscious and he knows what he's doing and he's only using this or like not using it, but he's only doing what he needs to do on the evil side of things. And he doesn't need to necessarily go after Samus. If he didn't need to, but on the other, on the other hand, Majin Vegeta kind of just like blows up a whole bleacher worth of people for really no reason. So maybe that's not the best comparison, but I kind of saw it like that where he's <laughs> like, he is in control, but he's picking and choosing what to do on his own while still very clearly overall influenced by dark Samus. It, it came to you because I mentioned Chris Sabat. I know, I know. <laughs> oh yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, you're right. Well, yeah, that, I mean that's that's actually a, a great comparison. Maybe that's the connection they have there. Majin Rundus. That's what they all are. Um, all right, so those are all our Metroid Prime three, and I don't, I know we're we're actually over the hour and half mark already, so we're gonna get close to wrapping this. Oh up. wow. Yeah. Well, it's a lore episode, man. We had things to talk about. Um, I don't think we need to talk about the comic Brownie Hunters, like Big Time Brannigan or Armstrong Houston or Zagan Doe, who looks like Yoshimitsu from Soul Calibur. I don't know what's going on with that character. I, I, I will just say, like, bring him back, maybe. Maybe not. Uh, I think Armstrong Houston might have inspired Anthony Higgs, though. Same initials. I mean, they have the same. I was about to say same initials. Same initials. Kind of an alien type character. Um, but I want to go. I don't know. I, I've go ahead. I, I personally, I know Armstrong Houston is like kind of like a big character in like the Metroid fandom. I don't know. I personally think he's super overrated. He just kind of seems like he kind of seems just like an OC in like another various suit. I don't like. He's he's got a cool beard, but like, I mean, so do I. Like, it's they're not that hard to come by. <laughs> I I I truthfully don't. I mean, is there a big like Armstrong Houston contingency in the Metroid fandom? Like, I don't. I could I could give or take the guy. I don't really like, I don't care, you know. So I, is are there huge um Armstrong fans out there? Let us know if you want to see him come back. I wouldn't I back, you know, back during the back during the insider forum days, I vividly remember like mm. a huge Armstrong Houston fan base. Okay. So that, that we're we're going back uh over a decade since then. Way over a decade. Decade yeah. and a half. Rip rip insider. I still remember when they just randomly shut it down. No, no, like, yeah, just randomly like, hey, in two weeks, like the forum's going away forever. Save all your stuff or don't. We don't care. Yeah, honestly, honestly, perfect Nintendo tradition. Like it's I wouldn't have wouldn't have had it any other way. I think that's, that's when I knew all. I was becoming I was growing up. I think that was the beginning of the end of my childhood is when the insider, <laughs> Nintendo Insider forums were, were shut down and put on view only for two weeks and then killed. They ask you how you are and you have to say that you're fine but you're not really fine and you know it's all <laughs> I, I was on the verge of being a sage man i knew it i i knew it <laughs> um okay so to wrap up the episode real quick i want to talk about like the future of, of bounty hunters in metroid will we want to see any of these other characters show up again should they show up again obviously some of them it might be a little easier than others <laughs> depending on what part of the timeline the, the game takes place um at least for me obviously Silex is probably I mean I think Silex in Prime 4 I think is kind of a not a shoe in but probably should happen. Um I think Weevil is a character that I would love to see come back maybe even as an ally or an anti-hero somewhere on in the line. I I would love to see a character that maybe defects from the pirates and is operating on his own, maybe works with Samus, maybe not, but a very cool character. Um Trace and the Kraken, obvious as we said big bad antagonist would love to see that. I think Cannon and Diam, uh, Cannon and Spire would be really good, like side story kind of things, like a small book or a short or a side or spinoff game. Like, give me their 
their story. Like, I want to see Spire's story. I want to see what happened with Canon, like his prequel. Like, bring me all the way up to the, the laboratory explosion and escape. Would love to see that. Um, Noxus and, and the Vozone, or Vozon, again, <laughs> another, I think, another primary antagonist kind of um, material here. For Rundiscore and Gondreda, I think prequel stories, again, kind of like Canon and Spire, could be really cool. I would love to see more about them. And with all that said, I think for me, as much as I would love to see new characters, there are a lot of cool characters in the Metroid series that could come back in a realistic way that we don't know a lot about. And we just talked an hour and a half about all of them that could work into the series, that could be given new life, new lore. And work in a bunch of different roles as like an ally, an anti-hero, as a big bad antagonist, as the protagonist of a side story. Like there's a lot of material to work with. And I would I'm, honestly, I'd actually rather that than them maybe introducing newer stuff. Unless it's a ser- unless it's a situation where like, okay, it's a new organization we don't know about that's behind Canon's like, you know, lab or whatever it is, right? I don't want that to be the Space Pirates of the Federation. But overall, like or if it's or if it's like we get hunters too, but now there's like an even bigger selection of characters to select from. Yeah, agreed. So like, yes, exactly. That I would be down for that. But there's a lot of meat on these bones, and I think we've said that a bunch. I know Andy doesn't think as much, but I think after going through this, like, there's good setup here, and setup that like that that works that makes sense going forward with the Metroid series. That I think all these characters can come back. What about you? What do you think? Yeah, I, I don't want to put in. I don't want to put words in Andy's mouth. So Andy, feel free to clarify next week on your thoughts. I only brought that up but so like, he can't defend himself. That's yeah. <laughs> I have to do it next week. <laughs> but no, I almost, you know, I, I almost think that like Andy and maybe people who hold similar thoughts to like, you know, Metroid Prime Hunters in that universe, you know, they take that lore at face value and kind of don't really extrapolate beyond that. Whereas, you know, I, you know, you and I and, you know, you know, people like Spire fan, you know, we like to go into it's like, okay. It's not much. It's not much on its face value, but there's so much you can expand and work off of, yeah. and there's so much possibility there uh, to work with. And then that's really, and that's really what, um, what it's really about. It's those possibilities that make the characters intriguing. Like obviously, at face value, they're all pretty one note. Even Silex currently, though, I feel like you know by Metroid Prime Four, we'll have some more to work off of. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, it's you know it's what could be. It's you know there it, it is a little bit of that mystery, that unknown that yeah. you know that makes these characters so enticing you know again even you know even past like you know the ones that aren't directly tied into the lore like you know you know um spires you know spires backstory and intro that's just a really cool premise that i want to i want to see you know where that goes uh candon i think there's potential to have a really cool motivation behind that no i 100 percent agree that's it gets the creative part of my brain like firing and interested and that to me is incredibly important for anything metroid or anything like to have something that a fan of the game can be like oh that makes that gets my gears turned like i would love to see what happens next with this that's that's what all of these even the hunters from prime 3 i would love to like learn more about their stories like before the events of the game like that kind of stuff makes me interested in more metroid which i think is is good to have those kind of questions that need to be answered or maybe you know, bring more questions instead of getting answered. So yeah, I think like, again, one of the things I think is really cool is that it's not like they're all bad guys that they, they all just be villains. Like some of them would work as allies or not. Like some of them work as straight up bad guys. Some of them would work as their own stories and see how that goes. And that just means that there's so many different paths you'd go on for the franchise. 
And I, I feel like specifically in the case of Noxus, like that would be a character that would be very much like trying to do good, but I feel like could end up being an antagonist due to their own hubris and ignorance. I, which, I mean, from a storytelling perspective, some of the the best villains are ones that think they're doing the right thing, that think they're the good guys. So like Noxus like makes a great potential villain because he's going to think he's on the right side the whole time. And that kind of moral conflict that goes beyond the external combat conflict is what gives that kind of stuff layers and a lot of interest. Yeah, it would be it would literally be like, why are you trying to fight me? I'm on your side. <laughs> like, don't you see what I'm trying to do here? Yeah, exactly. And then you're like, whoa, Sam's like, am I the bad guy? Am I the baddie? Are we the baddies? And that's what makes for a compelling story. Yes. I, I sitting nah, here, she, she would just. She would just blow up another planet. <laughs> she would. She'd be like, ah, <laughs> missiles, and just, just, just obliterate the problem. Which, to be honest, I, I get that from a video game perspective. It, it, you know, it hasn't failed her so far. It hasn't. Well, debatable. It hasn't necessarily gone smoothly. <laughs> it has. It's been rocky. It's been rocky to say the least. Yes. Um. Yeah. No. Honestly, like from a from a storytelling perspective, like looking at all this stuff again, it's like, man, I, I, I would love if I had like the the keys to the the house so to speak and just start writing up all these stories and give oh you know, yeah breathe some life into these characters again so nintendo if you're listening uh call me up and i'll write it for you and and, <laughs> and, that, and that's to say like if we're being real we're probably never going to hear about any of these characters again aside aside from silex obviously even even weevil despite his ties to like you know nes droided zero mission um probably probably won't hear about from any of these characters again but that's not what this is about. This is about what we want. And yeah. I would absolutely love to hear more about how these characters operate. You know, I'm not entirely we'll sold on tick. that. I'm not entirely sold on that. I could see a world where we see uh, Weevil again or Trace again after Prime 4. You know, maybe like Nintendo's like, hmm, maybe there is some something we could do with these other hunters after Silex shows up and Prime 4 sells 50 million copies, you know? Who knows? I mean, there was that... Uh... There was that spiritual successor to Hunters that uh, Next Level was making before they oh. they got switched to Federation Force. Uh, I, I wish I had never learned that. I wish I had never. I wish that was something that was never brought to my ears because <laughs> that pains me. The fact that we could have had a Hunters no. reboot or Hunters sequel, but we didn't get it because we got Federation Force. Ah, that that was a canon event. <laughs> that hurt me. That hurt me. Well. <laughs> with that all said as we round the hour and 46 or so minute mark that is our second entry in the lore archives we talked about the hunters of metroid doom any uh any last thoughts here for the hunters of metroid uh they're all cool jabronis um you know i hope that we indeed get to see them next mission i agree no better way i could put that uh with that said I believe our next. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna make promises. But at the moment, our next episode, I believe, is a mapping Metroid. So hopefully, that's gonna still happen. Um, that is what is currently on the docket. Yes, it's currently on the docket. But you know, a card is subject to change, as you all know. Um, for anyone celebrating, have a happy American Thanksgiving, which is this weekend. So by the time you uh, hear this episode, it won't. It won't have happened yet. But I don't know where I'm going with this. But yeah, have a have, have a happy holiday <laughs> if you're listening to it then. Enjoy some some uh, good Thanksgiving dinner and all that. And uh, call your loved ones, call your friends, call your family, and say hi to them and whatnot. Andy, I hope you're doing well out there, taking a nice break. My man's been killing it on the podcast game. He's running like a dozen shows. I don't know how he does it. Anytime people are like, why don't you do another podcast? I'm like, 
I'm good with the one. And this guy has got like <laughs> this guy's got a fleet of podcasts. He's doing virtual theater, Zelda cast, Metroid, Omega Metroid podcast. He's doing the Great Area Ranking. He's doing his own shows. He's doing this. He's doing. That. I was about to say he does his own stuff on Patreon. <laughs> Patreon, Terry show. He's doing all this, all this great stuff. So definitely check him out. Um, tell him thanks. Tell him you love him. All that good stuff. Let him know what's good. If you're listening, Andy. Uh, well, we'll see you next week. See you next mission. Hopefully, you're on the show. And also have a good holiday, even though you're Canadian. So I guess you won't be celebrating. You already had your Canadian Thanksgiving, um, but I'm already on Christmas mode. I'm ready. Ready for Christmas. <laughs> With that said, thank you all for tuning in. Oh, Doom, you have anything else? One last words? Anything else? Um, yeah, no, I already said my last word. Right, I got you. Do I the you. outro. <laughs> well, sometimes it looks like you're about to say something. I want to give you that last word, but you know what? I gave it to you. Thank you all for tuning in. This is the Omega Metroid podcast. Of course, you can check us out on omegametroid.com where we have the show posted, articles, news, guides. All that awesome stuff there on OmegaMetroid.com. You can find us as the Omega Metroid Pod or Omega Metroid Podcast on all your favorite podcast platforms and social platforms as well. You can find myself at DaxCity underscore on most stuff, at Duminal Crossing on most, or is it at Duminal Cross, at Duminal Crossing? At Duminal Cross. I would have done Duminal Crossing, but uh, they don't allow that many characters in your at, so it's just Duminal Cross. Well, I know if if you try to type it in, you'll eventually get to your username. And he is Aspateri316. And you can find us at Omega Metroid Pod on your favorite platforms. We are the only weekly Metroid podcast out there. And you can find us on YouTube, so if you want to watch along and see us sit in our bedrooms talk about Metroid... If you want a visual to throw in here, if you want to see Doom's awesome Patrick onesie, you can check us out. I was about to say, if you want to check out the drip. (laughs) If you want to check it out, you can see us on YouTube. Otherwise, please be sure to check us out on whatever platform you're probably already listening to us on, so I don't need to plug it. But, you know, that's kind of what you're supposed to do. Thank you all for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed. We hope you enjoyed this uh, entry, the second entry in the lore lore archives. Let us know what you thought. Let us know what you'd like for us to talk about next. What story, what lore should we dig into next in the Metroid series? Let us know. Let us know what you think about the Game Awards, Game of the Year nominees. Who got snubbed? Who's going to win? Is it going to be Baldur's Gate? Is it not going to be? And we'll see you next time for the next episode of the Omega Metroid Podcast. We'll see you then.